Well, we are going through the book of Luke, and I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. I'm headed into my 26th year at Grace Fellowship, and we'd never preached through a gospel to see Jesus. And so we're going through the gospel of Luke, not just for information, but to see Jesus. And so far, we've seen him preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, and call some disciples to follow him. But today, as he encounters a leper and a paralytic, you're going to see on a much deeper level what Jesus really came to do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said... Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe. Saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So what can we learn about Jesus from these two encounters Here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one, Jesus wants to solve your, this is new. I've never said this before. Say it with me. What kind of problem? Biggest, Biggest problem. And he makes it absolutely clear in his encounter with the paralytic. I mean, think about this guy and his friends, right? What they must have been thinking after hauling him up onto the roof. Now, I don't want you to think they had to scale the side of the building. People used their rooftops. There was probably a staircase, a way to get up there. So that was not the tricky part. But he is paralyzed, so it took some time. It was a flat roof, and people hung out up there. But it still took some time. You did not usually dig a hole in the roof and drop someone down. So they've hauled him up there. They took time to get through the tile roof, and they've lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Only to have Jesus say, your sins are forgiven you. Now, let's be honest. That's not what they came for. Right? 
What has made the crowd so big that they can't even get into the house? What has news been saying? Why has his fame and name been spreading like it has? Healing. Solve my earthly problem. Healing, healing, healing has brought crowds so big. Now notice, this is only Luke 5. So we're on the front end of his ministry. So it's worth noting, this is the only time you'll find him doing this. But I think he does it to signal and make it absolutely clear before this gets any more out of hand, who he really is and what he came to do. They don't think their biggest problem is sin. And they don't think their friend's biggest problem is sin. And they didn't work this hard to have him simply say, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus, he's paralyzed. Do you know how inconvenient that is in life? Do you know how this affects this man and his family? Do you? He needs to be healed. He needs to walk. He needs to move his arms. But it's not what Jesus addressed first. Because it's not what Jesus came to do most. He puts it up this way and he says what he says in such an awkward manner to get their attention and to signal who he really is and what he really came to do. He is God who took on flesh and came into this world to solve our biggest problem, a much bigger problem that had a much more difficult solution that required the only perfect God-man to go to the cross and die a horrific death for us and rise again for us, conquering sin and death and Satan and hell, which is why he says in verses 23 and 24, look at it again. I always love these moments where he answers questions that weren't said out loud. You know, you can be a little party or a business thing and you could be thinking, I hate her shirt. What if she turned and said, hey, what do you, I got this at Dillard's. And you're thinking, what, she knows what I was thinking? He does it all the time. He perceives their thoughts. They're not even saying it out loud, but he knows they're questioning, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. What is he doing? And he answers it. He looks at them and says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise. And walk, but that you may know. He wants them to know that the Son of Man. Now, let me help you here. Maybe you grew up in the church and you've been reading your Bible and and you wonder have you ever wondered why does Jesus always call himself Son of Man? Say Son of God, Son of God. So, what's the Son of Man thing? You need to understand Jesus relentlessly wanted them to know I am the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament doesn't talk about son of God. It does talk about son of man in Daniel and other places. The son of man was a title that was given to the one they were looking for. In Daniel, it talks about the son of man will come with power and glory to judge and rule the world. He was constantly wanting them to know the one you've been waiting for, looking for, anticipating, hoping for, I am that one. He's doing it again now. That you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins He's talking to them. I also like these moments where he's talking to one person and then he does something else for someone else. That you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic. Why don't you just rise, take up your bed and go home with it. In other words, he's saying, I know what you're thinking. Telling this man his sins are forgiven or just words coming out of your mouth, Jesus. How do we know that happened? The evidence of forgiveness is not immediate. Did anything happen? He looks the same. Is he forgiven? I don't know. He says, I know you're thinking that. So that you will know that I have the authority and power on earth to forgive sins is why now I'll let you see this man get up and carry his bed home. Rise, pick up your bed And go home. I've said it before. And I'm going to say it again today. Jesus only healed people physically. To prove that he had the power and authority. To solve our biggest problem. Our sin 
problem that separates us from a holy God. Which is why when he hung on the cross in John 19, he said, it is, say louder, finished. Oh my goodness, what is he talking about? Has every lame leg been straightened? Has every blind eye been opened? Has every deaf ear been unstopped? Every mute mouth been loosed? Has every oppressed person been set free? Has every unjust political system been shattered? No. People were still limping all over the land. Blind people were still tapping their way to where they needed to go. Deaf people were still wishing they could hear birds sing. People still lived under the oppression of a Roman, foreign, cruel government. What was finished? The mission for which he'd come. I love it. In the Greek, in English, it's three words. It is finished. In the Greek, it's one word. Tetelestai. And it was a word that meant completely fulfilled, totally accomplished. Oh, and it gets even better. It was a word that they would stamp across certificates of indebtedness paid in full. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Paid in full. This will not come back to haunt you. This will not bite you. There's nothing else you need to do. Fulfilled paid he made the only sufficient payment for our sins that could ever satisfy the wrath of a holy god which is why he said it is finished everything that was needed to be done has been done for horrific wretched sinners to be made right with a glorious merciful god that's why jesus came that's what he came to do and he had done it but we always we want right here right now fix my biggest earthly problem oh but there's something else i want you to see in this passage number two jesus wants to cleanse your conscience and change forever more how you see yourself you see brad i don't See that in these verses you read. Well, I want you to consider more carefully what Jesus did and what Jesus said to the leper. Because far more is going on here than just physical healing. Look at verse 13 again. And Jesus stretched out his hand and say it, touched him, saying, be clean. You do realize Jesus healed lots of people without ever touching them. Do you know that? In fact, it was usual that he didn't touch them. He just spoke the word. His word had power. He just spoke the word. You'll find instances as we move on through the gospels where he doesn't even go back to the house of the sick person. People have run to him and they think we need to get him to stop what he's doing and go back. And he'll just say, go home. It's done. When you get there, you can check it out for yourself. She's healed. He didn't have to touch this man. And he said, be clean. Not be healed. Not be forgiven. Be clean. What is going on? Well, you won't understand the significance of this encounter unless you understand The physical disease of leprosy is incidental to what is really going on here. In that day, lepers were not just physically sick. They were social, emotional, and economic outcasts of the lowest order. They were not allowed into cities. This man shouldn't be here. He had to slip in. He shouldn't be here. Our pastor said Jesus was teaching in one of the cities. They weren't allowed in the cities. They weren't allowed into a worship service. They weren't allowed into the presence of God. They were cut off from everyone in this world and the next with a constant awareness of being unclean unacceptable, untouchable, unwanted, and un. 
able to do anything about it because there was no earthly cure. At that time in this world, this was the most hopeless, life-altering, identity-disfiguring condition you could find yourself in. Leprosy. I know we got a different day. It's not as good as it should be, but it's so different where we're taught to, to consider those who have disabilities and limitations. They're given extra grace many times. This was a very harsh, harsh world. You didn't find extra grace at all. And certainly not the lepers at all. See, whenever they did venture out or get near anyone, it was the law. They were required to hold one hand over their mouth. Imagine how humiliating. And to cry out continually, unclean, unclean, unclean. And when you do that long enough, day after day after day, you start to believe it about yourself. And not just your physical condition either. It starts to affect the way you see yourself. It starts to disfigure and twist Your very identity. And notice in verse 12, look at it again. This man does not have a light case of leprosy. The other reason I chose Luke is I like Luke as a physician. And there's things that he brings out that I just like the best. He's the only one of the gospel writers that brings this fact out. The others just say he was a leper. Luke says the man was what? Full of leprosy. In other words, he was eaten up with it, you guys. He was repulsive to look at, probably worse to smell, as there would have been the smell of death and rotting putrid flesh about him. Yeah. And so make no mistake, how this man got in the city, I don't know. But when you read the Gospels, you'll see people were desperate to get near Jesus. They would find a way. When this man falls down in front of Jesus, oh, he is wanting far more than physical healing. This man is longing to be made clean through and through, not just on the outside, but the inside, to be seen as clean, to be accepted instead of rejected. Dr. A.B. McDonald was in charge of a leper colony in, in Africa for over 30 years. So he learned the ways of lepers. And he says this, the leper is sick in mind as well as body. For some reason, there's an attitude to leprosy different from the attitude to any other disfiguring disease. It is associated with shame and horror And carries in some mysterious way a sense of guilt. Shunned and despised frequently. Now this man served for 30 years in the 50s. So this wasn't just biblical times. He's saying this still was the way it was. Shunned and despised frequently do lepers consider taking their own lives. And some do. So when this man who was full of leprosy and filled with shame and rejection falls down in front of Jesus. Unlike anyone else in this man's world, Jesus did not shriek and run from him, but moved towards him, stretched out his hand and touched him as he authoritatively declared, be clean. And oh, in that moment, listen, far more than physical healing took place. In that moment, the horror and shame of rejection 
that had disfigured how he saw himself in relationship to other people. And God was lifted. And that's why Jesus gives him the first assignment that he does. Notice he doesn't say, go tell all your friends what I just did. What's he tell him to do? Look at First assignment Jesus gives him is to go to the priest and make an offering. Look at me. Because you now belong there and have every right to be there. Look at verse 14. Go and show. You realize this man has spent however many years he's had this hiding Hiding, running and hiding, running and hiding, running and hiding. This is a radical new command and direction for him. Go and show yourself to the priest. You don't need to hide anymore. Now stay with me because it's doubtful anyone in here is suffering with the physical disease of leprosy that would bring this kind of identity disfiguration. But let me make an application that I've found to be oh so true with so many people. Some of you have gotten a hold of the fact. You understand the paralytic portion we already dealt with. Jesus has forgiven my sins and I'm so glad I'm not on my way to hell. You would die on the hill that Jesus can save you by faith alone, grace alone, in him alone, plus nothing. Yes, hallelujah. I'm not on my way to hell. But, but, you still hover on the outskirts of the Christian camp with the mentality And shame of a leper who is convinced that God and other people can still smell how unclean you are. And so you assume that other people and certainly God would not want to be around you. And it makes you skittish. It causes you to act awkward. It's why you don't want to open up. It it affects you tremendously. How you live this life now. So listen, some of you need to obey the command of Jesus in verse 14. When he says, go. Show yourself to the priest. And that doesn't mean me as your pastor. Who's your priest? Jesus, your great high priest. Go to him. Go show yourself to your great high priest, Jesus. You don't need to hide from him. Some of you are like, I know I'm saved. I'm not on the way to hell but I've got to stay away from, he would never want me close to him. I hear Christians talk about sweet communion and fellowship and worship like they really know him. But I have this Jesus from a distance kind of thing. I don't think I can draw near. He would tell me to get back because if I got near him, he just might know how vile I am. Let me help you. He already knows. Listen, and, and when he died on the cross, it did not just change your legal standing on the record books with God. Far more, when Jesus died on the cross, you guys, your sin, all of it. So right now you think about whatever that is that still makes you feel ashamed and think you need to hide, was on him. He smelled it. He tasted it. And he died for it. He already knows and wants you to come. It breaks his heart that you won't come. He wants you to come. He wants you to come. He wants to have intimate, sweet fellowship with you because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. 
But I know some of you have been stuck and stuck for a long time. You might have already been thinking this way before you even became a Christian. I don't know who spoke to you. I don't know how words were used in your life. I don't know who in your life was meant to protect you that didn't protect you but demeaned you. We live in a very broken world. I get it. We can be shaped and influenced tremendously by circumstances and other people. But hear me. By the grace of God and the mercy of God and the spirit of God and the resurrection power of the gospel, you do not have to be stuck and defined by that. There's hope. He wants so much more for you. He did not just die to change your legal standing before God. Oh, he wants more, more, more for you. So let me try to help some of you. How do you shake the outcast mentality of a leper? How do you shake that? How do you shake this and start showing yourself to God and other people? And I put it to you in that order. You will never show yourself more to other people and open up until you first know, I can fully open up before God. He knows me fully. There's nothing I have to hide. He knows it and died. When you get that with you and God, then you're not so worried about other people. Like, whatever. Start with this. I want to be able to show myself to God and draw near to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And have sweet fellowship and intimacy with my Savior. How would you begin that process? I'm just going to get you started. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 19, because here's what I want you to see. I want you to know who you're showing yourself to. If you knew better who he was, you'd go. You'd go. If you knew more fully what he's done, you'd go. You'd go. You'd go. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore... All right, to really get the effect of these verses, you really need to go back to Hebrews 1 and read the first 10 chapters. For the sake of time, we ain't gonna do that. But oh my goodness, when you see it, therefore, there's a reason. He's been building a case that Jesus has fulfilled all the old covenant. All of this was a shadow. All of this was a precursor. All of this was barely getting it done and could never fully cover and satisfy God's demands. But now, but now, but now. Ready? Therefore, brothers, since. That doesn't mean if possible, some of you could have this. It's yours. Since, since we have, what's he want you to have? What is yours? Confidence. Some of you believe it shows humility when you still act skittish and timid and sheepish. It would, it would kind of be arrogant to act like I know that's not arrogant. That's making much of your savior. Savior. He wants you to have confidence. Con- In you? No. We're going to see that since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Now he's going to tell you how. If you're thinking, but, but I'm still such a mess. Oh, but there's, I'm still so, oh, there's still so much that needs to be changed with me. Yes. And amen. How are you going in there? By the blood of, does God the father ever see the blood of Jesus as insufficient? Not quite enough. Does that payment ever change? Louder. No, there's no shelf life on it. By the blood of Jesus. Oh, by. Here's how you're going in. By the new and living way. This was a dead way and an old way. A dead way and an old way. A dead way and an old way. It was better than nothing. But oh my goodness, when Jesus came and perfectly kept God's law and gave his perfect life in death and then showed he is the God man by rising from the dead, he made a new and say it, living way. By the new and living way that he opened for 
us. Jesus opened a new and living way. Remember if you, when we get to the end of the gospel 10 years from now, I don't know. And, and when, he, when he died, the curtain in the temple was torn from, not the bottom. A person could have worked hard to do it from the bottom. This was a huge 20 foot high thing from the top. God did it. And it was the thickness of a hand. Good luck on doing that yourself. From top to bottom, the curtain that separated people from the inner sanctum holy of holies that only the high priest could go in once a year and he hoped he didn't get killed was torn open now for every believer who comes in Jesus' name into the presence of a holy God. By a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh. Here's the word again. And since it's done, you've got it. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. We've had the word confidence. Now we got the word assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Some translations say a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We've got confidence. We've got assurance. We've got don't waver confidence in you. Assurance in you without wavering because of you, because of who? Jesus, assurance, confidence, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. All of this is ours because of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever, and does not change. Listen, this passage is brimming over with what you can do now because of what he has done for you that can never be undone. Ever, ever, ever. And I hope you sense from those verses, it's talking about far more than just forgiveness of sins. My legal record has been changed and that would be glorious. But it's the passage has this sense of, it's talking about assurance, acceptance, confidence, and an intimacy that is yours now with the living God because of what Jesus has done and is still doing day and night for you. You realize the same book of Hebrews? It's a good one. It talks about Jesus interceding for you day and night. He stands before the Father, continually saying, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine. My righteousness is her righteousness. My inherit everything about me, everything that I have as yours perfect son is hers, is him. He intercedes for you day and night and stands in your place so that you can come freely into the presence of a holy God. He does not want you to live like a leper on the outskirts of the Christian camp. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to keep believing what you've always believed was true about you. Whether you started saying it first or other people said it to you, said it to you, said it to you, said it to you. But the only way, listen, you'll ever come out of hiding is when you stop looking at yourself so much. And start looking at your Savior so much more. Robert Murray McShaney. He's a guy that gives you a Bible reading plan that sometimes people download on the internet. Robert Murray McShaney gave some really good counsel when he said this. 
for every look at yourself. Take 10 looks at Christ. 10 looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. You do realize, I hope, you will not find the Bible commending or pushing us towards greater personal introspection. Morbid, compulsive, obsessive introspection. You realize that is not in the Bible. The Bible does not do that. But we have this sin nature that is a centripetal force. Centripetal is a word that means it's spinning and sucking down and in, back down and in, down and in, down and in. And some of you have made the mistake thinking that's the Holy Spirit convicting me and want me to examine myself some more, want me to feel bad some more, want me. It is not. It is not. Our sin nature is this giant, sucking, centripetal force that wants you to go down and in, down and in, down and in. Oh my goodness, it's dark there and it stinks. You don't find answers there. You don't find hope there. The Bible, the very gospel itself, and the spirit of God is a centrifugal force up out, away, up, out, away, up, out, away, up, out, away. Yes, you have to be willing to see yourself as a sinner to become a Christian. And I tell you all the time, don't ever get over it and stop thinking you're a sinner. So don't hear what I'm not saying, because when you know you're a sinner, you experience amazing grace. But that is not the same as the ditch over here that some of you live in. I just got to flagellate myself and beat myself continually. I am so awful and so awful and so awful. He would never love me. He can't love me. He doesn't want to know me. That is not of your Savior or the Spirit of God. The Bible and the gospel and the Spirit of God is a centrifugal force that wants to pull you up and out and away, up and out and away. So you got this battle of two Powerful forces. So how would you get this centrifugal force going more in your life? You might want to write this down because I've never said this before. Read your... Oh, there's a reason he gave us this. Because it's not how we think. It's not how we think. That's why he says, this will renew your mind. Some of you think you can live the Christian life on Netflix and the Discovery Channel. And you cannot. Like reading the Bible is optional. It is not optional. It's not optional for salvation. And it's not optional for glorious, joyful, hope-filled Christian living. This is what changes me. This is what changes what I think about me and I think about him and what he's done for me. Changes what I think about me, what I think about him and what he's done for me. You gotta read it. So let me give you this assignment. If this is you that's stuck and has been stuck, don't just start in Genesis. It's all good, but read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see Jesus. Read Colossians that shows Jesus being supreme, preeminent over angels, dreams, visions, everything. And read the book of Hebrews that shows, you'll hear the word 13 times in the book of Hebrews, better. We have a better high priest. We have a better promise. We have a better inheritance. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better mediator. Better, 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 better. And it's all because of Jesus. And you say, how long, Brad? Like the rest of this month? Nope, here's the assignment. You ready? I want you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Colossians, Hebrews. I want you to read it, read it, read it, read it, read it until your sin is dwarfed and overshadowed by how great and glorious your Savior is. Oh, you say, but I'm a great sinner. Yes, I know it. You know it. He knows it. You are a great sinner, but we have a great, 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 great Savior. That's what some of you have not gotten a hold of yet. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds. You got a bunch of sin in your life? 
Grace abounds. The Bible is full of this phrase, much more, much more. You see it in Romans all the time. Much more, much more, much more, much more, much more, much more, much more. What you read, think, listen to, and delight in is what you are preoccupied with. So what have you been reading, thinking, listening to, and delighting in most lately? Because that's what you're preoccupied with right now. Right now. Because I know so much of what I'm poking on right here is a feeling, right? You say, well, Brad, how do I change a feeling? I just feel, I just feel like an alien. I feel shameful. I feel, I get it. The Bible doesn't talk to you about trying to change feelings. The Bible tells us as you renew your mind and thinking, it changes your feelings over time. You start here, 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 here. What does he say? 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 And you pray it in. You say, oh God. And you're honest with God. You say, this is what you're saying about me. I don't feel it. I don't believe it. But let God be true. But every man a liar, including myself. God, I'm keep reading this. And I'm asking you, make it true for me. Change my feelings. Convince me that this is for me. Read it. Until your sin begins to be dwarfed and overshadowed. Don't hear me saying I wake up every day thinking, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a sinner. Oh, I, I still have an awareness of sin because if you read the Bible, you'll also get that regularly. But as I have my awareness of sin, oh, I'm getting the Gospels four times every year. It's one of the reasons to read through the Bible. I, I recommend it. Because I'm going to get Jesus four times, not once, not twice, not three times, four times. Matthew, here's again, Mark, here's again, Luke, here's again, John, who he is and what he did for me, who he is and what he did for me. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, British, he was a medical physician, brilliant, as well as a pastor, stepped aside from the medical practice and everyone said, what are you doing? You have so much promise. Became a pastor. He was a good one. And he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. In which he says this. There are some Christians who are guilty of continually putting their souls on a plate. And dissecting them so that they stay depressed. Because they stay so preoccupied with themselves. Instead of occupied with Christ. Is that you? I sit and I try to help some Christians that I do sense this about them. You just keep putting your soul on a plate and dissecting it and dissecting it and dissecting it and wondering why it still stinks in there so bad. And, and the more you dissect, you hit some new pus. Like, oh, look at that. Yes. Leave it alone, would you? Now, that's not the same. If you're sitting here and you're caught up in porn, you're caught up committing adultery right now, you're embezzling from your employer, this message is not for you. You should feel bad. You should be convicted. I'm talking about people that you know I'm not, I'm not sin-free, but there is not some heinous sin I'm hiding. Because David talks about in the Psalms, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, Psalm 36, how miserable you will be when you hide sin. I'm talking about normal Christians who just obsess over their sinfulness and put their soul on a plate and dissect it relentlessly and you will stay depressed. He goes on to say, quote, and I quote, there's only one way to get rid of self. And that is that you should become so absorbed in someone or something else that you have no time to think about yourself. Thank God the spirit of God makes that possible. Do you realize the spirit of God that lives in you loves to make much of Jesus? He loves to make much of Jesus and point you to Jesus. Some of you have been guilty of thinking it's the spirit of God that sucks me down and in continually, down and in. That is not the spirit of God. That is your sin 
nature that still has that centripetal force that wants you to just dig into you some more. Dig into you some more. By the Spirit of God, it makes this possible. But why are so many Christians morbidly preoccupied with themselves? The answer is that they're not sufficiently occupied with Him. It is our failure to know Him and to know His ways as we should know them that is the real trouble. If we only spent more of our time looking at Him, we should soon forget ourselves. You realize the Bible doesn't teach stop, stop it, stop it, stop it. The Bible is not one big stop sign. The Bible teaches put off and put on. And I start doing something else so much, I can't do this as much as, you can't do both. Listen, the more captivated you are by Jesus as your amazing Savior, the less you can be caught up in self. You can't do both at the same time. So if you're sitting here thinking, oh, oh, I'm awful, I'm awful, but I have a great Savior. Liar. You don't have an awareness of a great Savior. All you have is an awareness of how awful you are. You cannot do both. As you become captivated by Jesus as your glorious Savior, you will stop being so caught up in you. And you are a very small, dark, putrid subject to orient your world around. And so am I. It's, it's a recipe for depression. Yes, no doubt. It's a very small way to live. Captivated by Jesus less likely to be caught up in you. So as I close, I want to speak to two different groups here today. First, those of you listening here or online that you're still not a Christian yet. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to join us, to listen, to consider these things. But I want to take you back to the paralytic. All right? Paralytics, the story for you. I don't know what you came in here thinking is your biggest problem. Right now, our world gives us a lot of categories to attach it to. There's plenty of reasons to get worked up about something in this world right now. It might be a health issue, an economic issue, a job situation, the world in general, politics, America. I don't know. But I would say to you, just like Jesus said to this paralytic and his friends, that's not your biggest problem. You could get changed, whatever it is that you desperately want to see changed. And if you don't have a new standing before God through his son, Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. You will face ultimately the judgment of God on that final day if your biggest problem has not been addressed. The sin problem that separates you from a holy God. So I would plead with you today. And here's the other thing I want you to know if you're guilty of thinking, why would a good God allow a world like this? You know why? He's so merciful, he doesn't allow us to have a perfect, comfortable world because you'd never seek him. Circumstances and suffering and some of the difficulties of this world is what causes people to say, I need more. There must be something more. There must be hope outside of this world. Whatever those things are in your life, listen to me. The mercy of God is drawing you, is calling you, is trying to show you your insufficiency and your weakness, that you're not autonomous, that you can't do it on your own. Come to Christ. Put your trust in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 captures the gospel. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the great exchange. That's what makes Christianity different than any other religion. He takes your sin and you get not a religious list of things to do now. You get his perfect righteousness as if it was yours. Wow. But I want to speak to another group as we close. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian. But you still live with the mentality and shame of a leper 
that keeps you hiding on the outskirts of the Christian camp, convinced that God and other people can still smell how unclean you are. If that's you, I want you to see the hands of Jesus stretching out to touch you and to tell you that you have been made clean and are now seen as clean before the God of the universe because of a perfect, glorious Savior that stands in your place. Oh, let today be the day that you look away from yourself and up to your Savior. Go show yourself to your great high priest. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for so great a salvation that does not just change our legal standing in a courtroom sense on paper, but changes our very identity as to who we are. That you make us clean because of Jesus' blood and that you've given us a new and living way to come into your presence and to have fellowship and intimacy because you love us. God set us free from us so that we can live for something bigger. And so that we, like lepers who have been healed and taken out of the leper colony, could not stop talking to other people about what Jesus has done for us, that we would so want others to have what we have. Use us in this dark, broken world for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.